One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Everybody's got a little rebel in them, right? Maybe maybe more than a little rebel. <laughs> Coming up, some thoughts on rebellion and travel. Plus, often wonder sometimes if it's better to do a lot of research or no research at all when you get into an adventure. And today, you're going to hear a story about a group of friends that had no preparations at all, really, didn't know what they were doing. They took something they were passionate about and just brought it out on the road and went for it. And now they're reflecting back on that journey and turning it into a film. And you're going to hear this inspiring tale today and much more. It's all happening next. Thank you so much for being a part of this listening community, my friend. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending a little time letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And you're joining many thousands of listeners from around the world. Thank you so much for being a part of the caravan, this listening community. Got to welcome the new listeners as well. I've been getting a lot of emails, people checking in, letting me know they found the podcast and they're binge listening, which I love sending me some pictures from out on the road. I got some pictures from New Zealand the other day. I think that was Kara that wrote me an email. Just love when people check in. If you want to get in touch, reach out anytime. My email address is jason at zero to travel.com. And I got an exciting show for you today. Something that uh, I was very passionate about for a long time. I still enjoy uh, these, <laughs> this group of friends took skateboards on a journey across the US some years ago. Now they're reflecting back on their journey. I don't want to ruin too much by dropping too many teasers here. But I think you're really going to dig this interview because there's a lot that comes out of this, not only from the travel and adventure standpoint, but also, you know, should you start something before you're ready or, or, or before you've done all the research? And what was it like when you reflect back on your travels and comparing that to where you are today and all of these different questions that can come up and just hearing how how this trip evolved for this group of friends and how they just kind of came up with this idea and decided to go for it. <laughs> it's great. So I'll give you a quick warning. If you're kicking around some ideas and they seem a little crazy, I don't know. This show might put you over the edge and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to do this idea. Screw it. So there's a, <laughs> there's a little warning for you there. Uh, before we get into the interview, a couple things. First, if you're on the hunt 
for some travel gear, specifically a new backpack. You got to check out zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. I am obsessed with my Tortuga Outbreaker backpack. I have one, uh, actually a couple of their bags from the home base collection. And I use their day pack as well. I'm just packing for a trip today. And every time I bust this thing out, I love it because I know that I'm not going to have any problem getting on the airplane and not having to check a bag, but I still have plenty of space to bring everything I need. They've maximized the space. So this thing is built for carry on. And, you know, as a traveler in this day and age, you don't want to have to check a bag or a backpack. It could get lost. It costs money. You know, you can use that money for like a fancy dinner or something. I don't know. So if you want to just get a bag that maximizes the space, that is comfortable, that has all the bells and whistles you need, various storage pockets, but not overkill. I love the design of this pack. Check them out. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. And guess what? Because you're a listener of the show, you get 10% off anything you order there just by using the promo code TRAVEL when you check out just the word TRAVEL. So order what you want. When you check out, just use the word TRAVEL and you'll get 10% off. And you'll also be supporting this show. And I have an episode with Fred coming up pretty soon, actually, the founder of Tortuga Backpacks. We're, uh, we're buddies, and you've probably heard them on the podcast before. They just do awesome stuff over there. So if you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, once again, you can check out their packs. It'll take you right to that page. Pick the one that's right for you and pull the trigger. <laughs> you don't need to waste a bunch of time researching because I'm telling you, you're going to love these packs. So check them out. Thanks again to those guys for supporting today's show. And I've got a shout out to one of you amazing souls in this listening community. And I got to talk about rebellion and travel as well and how that all plays in. I'm going to save that for after the interview so you can get right into it and listen in on our conversation. Please enjoy. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. I've been uh, skateboarding for about like... like guys, no idea. We have no idea really because... Because uh, <laughs> you're lost. We weren't paying attention to the signs. For the most part, I think we did have the route planned. At least we knew the direction that we were going. Out of desperation, we bought a roadmap, and the th- funny thing with the roadmap was we didn't know how to read a roadmap. What's this one? Right? What's that town right there, Joliet? That's Joliet Street. So it was kind of like embarrassing for me. <laughs> You're just hoping that you don't die on this trip. I've covered a lot of modes of transportation on this podcast, from walking around the world to bike touring, horseback riding, and more. But this is a first. My guest today traveled 950 miles from Chicago to New York on his skateboard with a group of three other 20-year-olds back in 2008. And they have just released a film about the journey called Shred America. You can learn more at shredamericafilm.com. He's here to talk about the adventure, what it's like to experience America by long-distance skateboard, Travel filmmaking and much more. Mike Koshtish <laughs> Tisha. Is that right? Close, close. It's Koshtesha. Koshtesha. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's <laughs> awesome. Sorry, man. I practiced like four or five different times on your name <laughs> and, and I still couldn't get it. Um, but are you Polish or is it that your yeah, background yeah. or are you from Poland? Yep. Yeah, I was born in Poland in Suwałki. Um, but we moved to the States in 93 when I was six. When you were six. Okay. Do you remember yeah. your time there at all? Or? Uh, barely. I, I remember little, you know, bits and pieces in my, in my memory, but I, nothing like clear or, or, you know, yeah. I don't remember much. Do you still speak the language or? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So like growing up, um, I spoke Polish to my mom and dad 
and they uh they took me to polish school which was like on saturdays for a few hours yeah and uh you know you learn how to read and write and speak so i i have like a high school diploma from polish school okay yeah but i still hear a chicago accent so you didn't have a hard time balancing those two i guess <laughs> no 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 <laughs> uh well that's cool that your parents did that because like and i always wondered if i grew up in like an international family like, I would be so pissed at my parents if they didn't teach me the language, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like, growing up, I was like, Mom, like, I don't want to go to Polish school. I don't want to talk to you in Polish. But, th- uh, you know, now, like, as an adult, I'm, you know, I say thank you to her all the time for, for raising me, um, learning how to read and write and speak Polish. So it's pretty cool. Well, I, I figured it out, too, because I, not only from your last name, but then I saw one, one of you guys on an interview on Polish TV, and I'm thinking, oh, they just, like, polish tv just found them and they just did this random thing and then like he started speaking polish and i was like oh wait a minute <laughs> so that's <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah i want to kick this off with a very important question so i hope you're ready for this man because this is gets intense pretty fast are you goofy foot or regular <laughs> <laughs> i'm goofy footed yeah. and that just means well, you should explain what that means for those non-skateboarders out there, I guess. Yeah, so there's regular-footed and goofy-footed and kind of like a hybrid called mango, I guess, if you're pushing mango. But it's basically w- which foot you push with, it feels more natural to you. So generally, if you're right-handed, you, you would push uh, regular. And if, if you're left-handed, you would push goofy. But for me, it's kind of like flipped. So I'm right-handed, but I push goofy. Right on. And congrats on the film, by the way. We're going to get into all this. I was really excited because I was a huge skateboarder growing up. Like, that was my thing. All I did was skateboard from the time I was, I think, I guess it was probably like from fifth or sixth grade, like through high school, basically. Like, we would skate, I don't know, five miles or something just to get to this pathetic little drainage dish, like just so we could ride it back and forth and pretend we were on like a big half pipe or something. And there were some other half pipes like hidden in the woods and stuff that we would skate like miles to, you know, all right, that was pretty far, but that's nothing compared to what you guys were just doing (laughs) per day, you know? So I, what I'm saying is I know that feeling of like skating some miles, but like not like 50 miles (laughs) a day or whatever you guys did. I mean, (laughs) how was that? Where did the idea come from? That's <laughs> yeah. So skateboarding it was, it was such a big part of my life growing up, like yours. And um, you know, one thing that kind of goes hand in hand with skateboarding is is videography and, and filming. Because um, you know, whenever you skate, usually a buddy will come out with his camera, uh, whether it's his dad's camera or his own, and you know, he's got the fisheye lens, and we all used to just shoot each other uh, skateboarding and you know, come out with little like, uh, videos, skate videos and, you know, put music to it. Part of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the culture. And, um, this is also kind of like when YouTube was first starting out. So you're able to upload your videos to, to the internet. And that was really cool. But, you know, one day I just hit up Arthur Swidinski, who's, uh, my buddy, my good friend, and we've been friends since seventh grade. And I was like, man, let's go do something crazy on skateboards. Like, you know, we love skateboarding. Why don't we shoot a documentary um, while we do this travel and and see what happens? So it just kind of you know kind of naturally for you know having a passion for skateboarding and and filming, we're like let's just do something crazy and go. How old were you at that time? I came up with the idea like when I was like nineteen or twenty. We did it when we were twenty years old. How uh, long after 
you had the idea? Did you guys actually go? So we, I came up with the idea like in the winter of 2007 and we planned for about six months or so to a year. And then, uh, we left in the summer of 2008. Okay. So did your buddy take you seriously? I mean, were you guys like, uh, this is like a fun idea, but whatever. Or like, was there a moment where you guys like, no, we're freaking, we're doing this for real. Uh, I think it was the moment like, yeah, we're doing this for real. I, I contacted him, you know, I called him up and I was like, let's just do something. Let's do something crazy. Let's skateboard from Chicago to New York. And it was never like, should we do it? Should we not do it? You know, what, what are our parents going to say? Nothing like that. It was <laughs> right. just like, we're going to go. And, uh, a few months later, we, we, we planned to go on June 2nd, 2008, figured out a date. We're like, it's going to happen. <laughs> Picking a date's key, right? I mean, did that help you guys to pick a date like that? Yeah, totally. Cause you know, before, before you pick a date, it's just this kind of idea, Theoretically, uh, yeah. you know, swarming in, in your head and you tell people, but un- until you have a date to actually go on something or do something, uh, you know, it's just an idea. One, as soon as we set a date, it was full steam ahead. So we had to find uh, two guys to come with us to be kind of like the cameraman, which turned out to be a disaster because biking and fi- and filming doesn't go hand in hand. So the two guys were on bikes. The idea was that you guys would be on skateboards, they would be on bikes, and they would be filming the whole thing. Yeah. You know, like we didn't know what we were doing, first of all. So we thought that, oh, these guys would be on bikes. They could also film us since, you know, biking is quicker and easier they could get ahead uh, and get shots of you yeah, guys coming and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They could bike down like, you know, uh, uh, a mile or so ahead and get the shots. But it quickly turned out to be the bikes were even harder than, than the skateboards because, <laughs> yeah, just so many issues with the bikes. And basically, James James Lagan, who is from uh, Des Plaines, Illinois, suburb of Chicago, and Tony Michael, um, he's also a good skate park buddy of ours. So... James never rode a skateboard before or really biked. Tony, however, knew how to skateboard and he was a skate park buddy. But we, we told him, hey, guys, you guys are going to bike, but you're also going to have these baby trailers behind you towing all our equipment, camping gear, etc. So these poor guys were schlepping like a, an additional 60 to 70 pounds behind them <laughs> as they were trying to catch yeah, up. Yeah, like, hurry up, just beat, it, just beat ahead, guys. Come on. What's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and our original idea was like, oh, the film will be about me and Arthur. We're skateboarding, blah, blah, blah. But it quickly turned out to be about all four of us and kind of our struggle together, um, <laughs> you know, getting from A to B. Why did it take eight years to make this film? <laughs> That's another. That's the question we get. Sorry, asked ten, all years. The time. ten years. Ten years. Yeah, ten years. A decade. Um, like, what have you been doing the last decade? Tell me. <laughs> really quick. Out. Just tell me really quick what you've been doing the last ten yeah. years now. <laughs> uh, working, making other movies, hanging out. Uh, you know, still good friends with all those guys. Um, living your but, life. Yeah. Yeah, living my life. You know, um, and always having this film on the back of my mind, <laughs> knowing it's got to get done. Have you been making other films like between uh, just, yeah, like shorts working on other, other people's films. So I work in post-production okay. in uh television and, and film, um, mainly TV documentaries. So I work as an assistant editor professionally. The, the film was supposed to be kind of like paving the way for us to, you know, make more films and get into the industry, whatever. And it sort of did that, but it just took 10 long years because you know, I mean, I could go talk about it, you know, year by year but basically 
we were all just trying to like, you know, live our lives, go to school, have jobs. Um, and we came out with about a hundred hours of footage that we had no idea what to do with. Um, we shot everything like cinema verite, meaning like it was just there in the moment. There was no interviews of us. There was no, nothing was planned. We just kind of shot it as we went. And we came back with about a hundred hours of footage and we're like, what are we going to do with this? This is, you know, this is awful footage. Well, it's not awful, but it's like, it's so random. How do you put something together? So the first three or four years we put on the back burner just because Too overwhelming, we were like, right? we we're so overwhelmed. We were kind of like on this like high as well after we, we got back from the trip, you know, like we did something so cool and so adventurous. We're like, we don't want to sit in front of a computer and, and work on this thing. <laughs> but um, we did string out the entire film. It was about like four hours long, just kind of all the best bits and pieces. And then from there, you know, it, it, it meant cutting it down and cutting it down and building up a story and a story structure, some sort of arc. Arthur and I spent a good four years, closer to five years, like really working on the movie, like any chance we got, you know, after work, on the weekends, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it came to like a passion project later. And I mean, do you think, well, it was then, but then you guys kind of needed to step away. Like you said, you were on the high of the adventure and everything. I mean, do you think like this works to your advantage? Because I mean, you have all this experience now, you're older, you know, like now you can look at it sort of, does it almost like looking at a different person when you guys watch the footage and everything? Like, That's a good question. You make a good point. So basically, as we were cutting the film, um, Arthur came up with the idea to interview us, um, looking back at us when we were young doing this trip. So we ended up shooting interviews and that helped kind of like weave the, the different scenes together and the different parts where we were and what we were doing in the movie. And it turned into kind of like us looking back at us and how dumb and stupid we were and, and how naive we were going on a trip like this. So it's kind of like a cool coming of age story, but not really, but just kind of like making fun of ourselves back then and, and kind of telling the, the viewers exactly what happened on the trip. What were you thinking when you, um, when you started watching the footage again and like you were seeing yourself and you guys all together then like, how did that, how did that make you feel? So one of the first steps for me was to disassociate myself from myself <laughs> In the footage, and I told myself, hey, if I'm going to be an asshole in the film, I'm going to be an asshole. If I'm going to be the good guy, I'm going to be the good guy. So I, I, I tried not to have any like uh, preconceived premonitions of myself or, or you know, I was going to see myself on screen as a character and may not necessarily relate to me in real life, you know. So that was the first step. And I think Arthur did the same thing. And, and just looking at the footage, it's kind of like bittersweet because you're looking at yourself from 10 years ago and you're like, and you're thinking like, wow, this is so cool. And at the same time, you kind of don't want to let go of that footage of that moment. Um, so whenever I was editing the film, I, I just always felt like this nostalgic sort of um, melancholy almost also at looking at this footage. But yeah, I don't know. It's so visceral, like it forces you to reflect on everything, right? Yep, totally. And then not only that you're just kind of like living with this footage in this moment that you're filming. And then you have to think about how are you going to piece together this, this scene, you know, like in Indiana when we were skating to Indiana and it was so hot and we were skating towards traffic later on in the trip, we found out to skate with traffic. Cause then, you know, like the, the, the winds and, and all the wind coming off the cars is going to help 
propel us forward. We were going towards traffic in the beginning, and that's more dangerous, actually, apparently. So you're just looking at yourself and, and figuring out like how to piece it all together at the same time. Yeah. I can understand why you filmed it because like we talked about, it's part of the skateboarding culture and you got, and you obviously were into that. When it started becoming a problem, were you guys ever like, well, screw it. We're just, we're not even going to do the film thing. We're just going to be on this adventure or because you did get a hundred hours of footage, but I'm wondering if you ever were tempted to just drop the filming part of the adventure. <laughs> we weren't like forcing ourselves to film while we were on the trip. Uh, we just kind of filmed whenever we felt like filming. So it, it wasn't like a job, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Um, <laughs> It wasn't like you're going out and, and, and documenting um, like you would like hire a professional crew or something. And they'd be rolling constantly. 100 hours of footage is actually not that much footage for the 36 days that we traveled. We just kind of filmed whenever. And, you know, we kept it pretty chill and mellow uh, as far as filming goes. There's a lot of great moments that we missed, but a lot of moments we were so lucky to have captured as well. We got chased by like a dog from like a farm area from a house and then uh you know just tornadoes like like few hundred yards away from us running away from that seeking shelter we were so lucky to capture what we got because what kind of makes this film so unique and, and authentic is is the fact that everything that happens in the film happened spontaneously it wasn't like manufactured or anything you mean are you telling um, me that reality tv is not real <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely telling you that. <laughs> Skating videos and, and everything, at least like the ones I grew up on, like they're supposed to be raw like that. The fact that you guys like were kind of just filming whenever and didn't plan it out is like true to the skating ethos in, in a way, more than if you were kind of like totally. shot for shot, kind of what you can't yeah. do on a trip like that. But. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we, we filmed like as we were pushing, obviously, James and Tony couldn't like pedal their bikes and, and go. So Arthur and I took took the cameras whenever we were skating and just getting B-roll shots or talking into the camera, things like that. It was it was such a huge learning experience for us, too, because we've never made a film before or we never I mean, we we took broadcasting classes in high school and went to college to do TV production. But we've never, we've always done everything ourselves, you know. So we were kind of like learning as we were going, but then we were looking at the footage and we're like, oh, we could have done this and this and this a little bit differently. And that's where the interviews came to play, where we interviewed ourselves af afterwards to really bring the story forward, to pull out the real story that was there. Take me back, because I mean, I'm sure the footage took you back and you lived it. I, I want to hear how you guys felt or how you felt on the first day. Like, you're, you know, you're like, you got your skateboard in, in your hand and like, you know, you set it down, you hear the sound of the skateboard, you like step on the grip tape and like, you're like, all right, like we have to go from Chicago. We're here in Chicago. We have to go. Like, how did you feel in that moment? Oh, man. So from the very <laughs> first moment of the trip. Did you guys fall like after three we, pushes like, or something? Up. So, <laughs> so we, we set off from the Bean at Millennium Park. So the Bean is like that. Uh, yeah, it's like I an iconic. Yeah. yeah, iconic. I think it's called like Skygate officially, but everyone calls it the Bean. But it's like this super nice uh, um, sculpture in downtown Chicago. And we were going to skate out of there. We we're going to have this epic push. Our family was there saying goodbye to us. Uh, there was a probably a freaking station. out. <laughs> yeah. Freaking out. Yeah. Uh, there was like a radio station there doing quick little interviews with us. Um, local Chicago station. And we were going to go like have this epic moment leaving. And then the security guard comes up to us and says, 
guys, you can't skate here. You gotta, you gotta walk your boards out of the park. That's like that's so sidewalk. typical skateboarding. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just getting kicked out by by security guards. Not even like just like not even skating. Just standing on the board. And uh, so there's a shot of us actually in the film just walking out of the park and not like having the big epic moment of pushing away. Oh man. <laughs> And then, and then, as we were skating down um, uh, the bike path along the lakefront towards uh, Indiana, uh, we we were by um, McCormick Place, I think, and the, the bike path just looped around. So it was just it was nothing but like a loop. So we ended up like traveling like four or five miles on this bike path to, and, and it just brought us back to where we started. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So we're like. So then I, I, I borrowed my dad's GPS, uh, you know, like car GPS. I pulled it out of my bag and I started like GPSing where we go. But, you know, it's like a car <laughs> GPS. So it was like, take the highway right. and go 600 miles east. Right. <laughs> so we were like, oh, what are we going to do? So we ended up going to a convenience store and buying a, a map, like a good old fashioned foldable map. We folded it out, looked where we were and where we had to go. There you go. And just started asking people for directions. Yeah. The old school way, man. <laughs> yeah, the old school way. And 2008 doesn't seem like it was that far away, but the iPhone just barely came out. There was no, you know, everything's like, you know, a tap away on your phone these days. Back then, you were still dealing with like no internet in your pocket and and kind of the old school way. Of yeah, I mean, traveling. would you say would you say dealing with it, or is there like some? Is it easy to look back and like romanticize it, or in some way? Because, I mean, there's no question that that changes the travel experience. Having your phone and using it versus having a paper map and talking to people, it's a different thing. It is different. It, you know, the, 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 the human interactions you have with the people um, as you're traveling is great, you know, asking for directions. But at the same time, I wish we did have a cell phone with, a, with Google Maps or something because that would have helped us out a lot and cut down a lot on the travel as well. I love that you guys just looped right back to the beginning. Like, the yeah, and it's, there's a scene in the film actually uh, of Tony being like, "What the hell? We're in the same spot." And and then James goes, "Yeah, we were supposed to go that way." And then everyone <laughs> just starts laughing. <laughs> Skateboarding is not a crime, man. Why do these security <laughs> guards got to chase you down all the time? Yeah, yeah I blame uh, them. Yeah, I blame them. My buddy uh, lived across the street from a community college, and he. <laughs> We used to go over there and skateboard like just to get chased by the security guards. Like that was the point of it. And then they would chase <laughs> us and we would skate away and then uh-huh. <laughs> go back so another day. And so punk rock. Hell, hell yeah, punk rock. <laughs> so what about the money part of this? Like what did you guys, did you guys have any, how did you save up? Like you got about what, six months lead time. Did you save up? Did you guys have any money on you? What did you do? Yeah. So uh, Arthur was working uh, as a transporter at a hospital. And I was a security guard uh, working weekends. How ironic. In, <laughs> yeah, how <laughs> ironic, right? Kicking, kicking kids out from skateboarding on this big business that I was securing or whatever. So I was going to school at the time, and I had no idea about like finances or anything. And uh, it was rolling around to the next semester. So I was like, I'm going to take out a $5,000 loan from my school to go on this trip. And that's what I did. Um, so I took out like five grand. I bought a video camera with that money. And then the rest I just put into the trip. So everything was self-funded. Our folks didn't give us any money for it or anything. And then Arthur had some money saved up. So he used whatever he saved up. 
And then James and Tony also used their own personal finances on the trip. So it sounds like a like a crazy thing to do, right? Like on the surface, like hey, I'm going to take this student loan out and like spend it all on this trip and buy this equipment and stuff. But like you do this professionally and this was your passion. So like, is, is it crazy? You know, like looking back, like how much, how much did what you learned about just filming or doing something like that about yourself contribute to like who you are now and what you do now? I mean, if it wasn't for the film for Sh- or for shred America, the, this, this cool idea you know, Shred America to us doesn't mean it's not just a movie title. You know, it, it means like just going out there, doing it for yourself, um, being ambitious and just believing in yourself and just going, you know, do something adventurous, something wild, something crazy, something fun, whatever you want to set your mind to. You know, everyone talks like I want to do this. I want to travel here or I want to accomplish this. But, not, you know, not a lot of people go about and, and, and do these things that they dream of. So to us, Shred America is kind of like, this idea of like just going and doing it so we were going to do anything we could and taking out a school loan just made the most amount of sense to me and and you know it was a passion and i just took it with me throughout my life so shred america to me was kind of like like if if i want to get into the industry to make films or videos or anything i'm, I'm just going to invest in myself and, and go and do it rather than you know putting that towards education although i did go to school and I never graduated actually. I, uh, I moved to New York from Chicago. Um, and I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it by myself. And I moved out here and found work freelancing and you know, that's it. Hmm. I agree. It's like, you know, investing in yourself and, you know, choosing yourself, having a vision, you know, having a a goal or an objective is important. You know, going to like, like if you're in college, going to class just to go to class doesn't make a lot of sense. You have to go to class to learn what you want to know do for in the future, you know, and that might mean you know going and, and working for free or for a little money, just volunteering, uh, like on movie sets. I used to go all the time, just paing for free, just to gain experience. You know, you have to do stuff outside of like school or work, and you have to work on yourself. Um, and that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from Shred America. You know, it, if it wasn't for Shred, like I wouldn't be here talking to you for sure. Where did you guys sleep along the way? What did you do for all that stuff, like the travel logistics stuff? (laughs) So um, for the first few days on the trip, we stayed in hotel rooms. We were just – we told everybody we'd be like couch surfing, staying in people's backyards, hanging out with them. But for the first part of the trip, we were were mainly in hotels just because we were so tired and we needed like good rest. Um. And then later on, we got more comfortable with like asking people if we could stay with them. So there's a scene in the movie where Arthur, we're at a at a department store, uh, like a home improvement department store, and um, Arthur's like, "I'm just gonna go to the bathroom and see if anyone's there and ask them if we could stay at their place because we have nowhere to stay. It's storming outside. Let's we need to find a place. There's no hotels around." And Arthur goes to the bathroom and he finds a guy about to enter the stall and he's like really quick dude it's cool if you say no but we're looking for a place to stay you think we could stay with you <laughs> that's an interesting opening line to in the bathroom yeah, you know yeah. it's, it's cool if you say and, no but <laughs> yeah, yeah i have a question james, like what <laughs> james caught it all on camera and it's such a great moment in in the movie um and the guy ended up being like uh it, it was uh he was a college student and so we stayed at his dorm room with a bunch of guys that was in uh, lima ohio Hopefully I'll meet someone in the washroom. 
and they'll be like, yo, man, I'll let you stay in my place, yo. If someone comes in here and I ask them if I can stay, they should say yes. So I go into this department store, and I see a guy in the bathroom, and he's about to take a dump. I know you're like, gotta use the washroom right now, but really quick, me and my buddies were skateboarding across the U.S., and we need a place to crash. Do you think, like, you know anyone that would, like, let us crash at their place for a night? Especially since, like, it's, it's like, a college town. We don't, like, we don't need, like, we can sleep on the floor. Like, it doesn't even matter. We have two bikes we have to take care of, like, put them somewhere, but that's it. Yeah, um, you like any buddies? Take us for a night? Man, I don't know, because uh, we're moving off tonight. We're moving our stuff out of our place tonight. If you want, we can, like, exchange numbers. All right, cool. All right, cool. 340. I think we're going to find a place to stay tonight. What did you learn about um, your home country going through it like this? I mean, everyone we met was like really cool and down to earth, you know. So one of the things that we did, um, we, put, we wrote fuck gas on one of the carts. Uh, it's kind of like a little funny political statement, you know, because um, around that time, gas was like five bucks a gallon and everything sucked. And so uh, we wrote fuck gas. And a few people were like yelling at us, flicking us off, like trying to like ride into us as we were skating. And uh, But for the most part, all the people we interacted with were like super friendly and supportive. And uh, one guy like bought us pizza. <laughs> He's like... Yo, uh, here's 20 bucks for a pizza. Uh, I have a pizza joint right there. Come get some pizza. And yeah, it was just like, everyone was really nice and friendly for the most part. Not a lot of, not a, just the, the only assholes were the ones trying to like drive into us as we were skating. They were probably doing it as a joke, but it was like, it's not cool. Not cool. What was the toughest spot for you guys? Whether it's a spot or whether it's just like a day where you guys like, didn't have good time yeah so um james lagan he is not athletic at all he all he did was like he was like a homebody for the most part was he one of the skaters or one of the bikers he he was one of the bikers james lagan he was the biker and um he he never like did anything uh you know outdoorsy or or anything and um (laughs) good good choice for the trip (laughs) yeah again the people we that's okay though i mean that's what it's about just doing it anyway you know totally totally and uh so he was lagging behind really bad um you know in indiana he was like a mile or two behind us a lot and uh we were like dude i don't know james could do this he's lagging behind a lot it's kind of it's dangerous you know what if like something happens to him and we're in the front and we're waiting for him and he never shows up, whatever. So he, he had a really difficult time in the beginning of the film. Towards the end, uh, he was just powering through the Appalachian Mountains. He was nonstop just pushing up and down the hill. He was a monster later. But so my, the toughest part for me was um, uh, the mountains as well. The, the last week for me was so tough. Going down a mountain on a skateboard, that's like no... No joke. I mean, did you guys walk some parts? You must have, right? Yeah. So, yeah, going up, we were just walking and pushing the carts up. So, like, we propped our boards on the carts, and we would just help James and Tony push up. Um, going down, we would hold on to James and Tony's cart, actually, and they would break for us. So, you know, we'd pick up a lot of speed. and be like, yo, you got to break, man. I'm losing it. <laughs> and then uh, there was one time in Ohio where Arthur uh, got speed wobbles going down the hill, and he ate shit and tore up his hands. And, and luckily, 
yeah, luckily we, we bought some helmets. Like, so we stayed with James's uncle in Columbus, Ohio. His uncle and aunt and uh, uncle. The uncle's like, "You guys have helmets?" We're like, "No," because you know who wears helmets when you skate. Right? That's not cool. He's like, "I'm gonna buy you guys some helmets because it's it's gonna get dangerous." And sure enough, like the next day, Arthur fell and ate shit. Oh so, man, that was fortuitous. Yeah, and then Tony, he he like popped his shoulder. We so another da- stupid and dangerous thing we did. We 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 rode at nighttime in the mountains just because we we didn't make enough miles in the daytime. So we averaged between 30 and 50 miles a day. However, sometimes we in the mountains particularly, we did like 10 just because it was so tough. So to pick up miles, we would ride at nighttime, pitch black. If just cars are just like zooming by. And uh, Tony was just riding his, his bike and he popped his shoulder. And it was like a big scary moment there too because we weren't sure what was wrong with him. And we ended up just like walking to the nearest town hmm. and uh, booking a hotel. You know, if you're in like these certain stretches, you you guys are on skateboards. You can't like, <laughs> you know, it's it's not like you can instantly get somewhere that that quickly. But yeah, and Arthur and I, we told everyone we would we wouldn't get any car support. Um, so we would not hitch any rides, or or you know pick up like get a cab or something. Um, so we vouch we would just skate the whole way. Uh, James and Tony, we we would like. Uh, get those guys like a we would stop like a pickup truck and be like hey can you drive these guys to the nearest town they just have so much heavy equipment and and we'll just skate there no problem so a few people let us do that but for the most part it was all us um pushing walking riding (laughs) so you said it was 36 days right and you guys made it yeah we did 950 miles in about 36 days in those 36 days we took about five days off from from the actual riding, we would just chill. Like we chilled in Pittsburgh for a day, we chilled in Columbus for a day, and some other random towns. How did it feel when you guys rolled into NYC? Oh, it was surreal. None of us have ever been to New York. <laughs> what a way to um, come for so, the first time! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was surreal. So like, we'll, as we were pushing into Times Square, because we told everyone we'd go to Times Square, and just like all the lights, and it was just. The look on our faces, you could see in the film, it was just surreal. Such a great moment. Did you guys got along pretty well the whole time? I mean, like by the end, were you pretty, I mean, you're bonded now <laughs> for life because of this thing, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. I, on the trip, I got into a few fights with Tony and with James. Arthur was kind of always the peacekeeper between all of us. He was always like the the level-headed guy. I was always like, come on, we got to go. You know, we're telling everyone we're doing this. We're not doing it. And uh, so I was, I got into a few fights with those guys. But, you know, at, looking back at it, it's like, it's all right. It's all good. We still love each other. Do you still <laughs> skate? Uh, I do. Uh, not like, I don't like skate skate anymore just because I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> but I'll skate around town for sure. I don't like hit up the skate park too much. What are you hoping to get out of this film? Like maybe personally and also like, from people that are watching it. Yeah. Yeah. So personally, I just want people to watch this film and, and just feel like they could accomplish something like this. I mean, I think what the film does a really good job at is, is uh, like taking the viewer on the journey with us. Um, it's not like, Oh, look how beautiful America is. You know, look at all these great people we meet. Cause there's actually not a lot of that. It's us like fucking up the whole time. And, uh, it, it really puts the viewer like in our shoes as we're doing this and, and it, it lets them like kind of relive the, their youth in, in a way, you know, through us. The journey for Arthur and I doesn't stop 
at the end of this film because this summer we're going to go on a little tour of the U.S. and start showing the film like at you know like in skate shops and skate parks like libraries. So we're going to hop in his car um, and we're going to live out of his car for like a month or two, just traveling and, and doing pop-up screenings. You know, putting out a little tip jar and be like, "Hey, you want to see this film? Here you go." And we so we want to like build an audience and stuff. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, man. That's a beautiful like thing. Embody, we want to embody the the whole spirit of travel and adventure in this film and like the distribution aspect of it because we're doing it all ourselves. Yeah. So well, congratulations. I mean, you must feel it must feel pretty good to like now ten years later, like yeah, have that, yeah this piece of art that you guys made in this moment in time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So we're premiering the film um, in Chicago. On March March twenty fourth, two thousand eight, next month, two thousand eighteen. Um, yeah, sorry, <laughs> two thousand eighteen. <laughs> yeah, March twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen. And uh, Arthur and I, we rented a, a thousand seat theater in Chicago. We're inviting everyone over, just advertising it, and we're just gonna show the film to everybody. You know, we're not doing any festivals. We don't want to wait around any longer. We just want to put it out there. So um, we're super excited for it, and it still hasn't hit me like we're done, done. But I think at the premiere, I'm going to probably cry. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, congratulations to you and the guys. And of course, the, the website shredamericafilm.com. Do you have any other websites or anything you want to share? No, that's it. Uh, just our website. We have an Instagram account. So check that out. Like when we're going to go on tour, we'll, you know, we'll be posting stuff regularly of our uh, adventure. And um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Mike. Wish you the best of luck and thank you, yeah, Jason. We'll chat. Uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, we'll chat soon. Uh, I, I'm gonna make sure to send you a, a advanced screener of the film. I would love it, man. Please do that. We'll do. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye. Cheers. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. I want to thank Michael for stopping by, sharing his story. Uh, it was interesting, yeah, to just kind of explore that from a bunch of different angles. And I can't imagine, you know, having all that video footage of of me traveling like ten or twenty years ago and watching that again. It must be a really surreal experience, and just cool to hear what that was like for him and the adventure and everything like that. I mean, I used to skateboard growing up, and. That was a huge part of my life, as you heard during the interview. Uh, I talked about it a little bit throughout the show. It was a big deal. And I want to talk about what I learned about rebellion and nonconformity from skateboarding and maybe how that played into my travels later. And I also got a shout out to get to first. One more thank you to Tortuga Backpacks, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. You get 10% off anything you order over there by using the promo code TRAVEL and you'll also be supporting this show. But not only that, you're going to get incredible gear. It's not like uh, <laughs> I'm not sending you to a place where you're like, oh, I'm just going to get 10% off, save a little money. That's great. No, you're going to get like the best travel backpack for your trip. They've got packing cubes over there. This day pack is killer. I use it in conjunction with my Tortuga Outbreaker when I go on longer trips like I'm going on tomorrow. It's just such a great combination to travel with. You can carry on. They've got this sailcloth technology they use where they, they've taken the material they make sails out of for the Outbreaker and made a backpack out of that. So it's like waterproof. All the zippers are great. That's one of my big gripes 
when you get a pack and it doesn't have good zippers, because if the zipper goes, you're totally screwed. And I have nothing but great things to say about uh, my long travels with this Outbreaker and this Tortuga Day Pack. You know, the home base collection is also awesome and it might be a better fit for you and the style of travel you have depending on what you need a pack for. So anyway, zero to travel.com slash Tortuga. Buy one for yourself. Buy one for a friend. If you got uh, you know birthdays or gifts or something coming up, you know a traveler, this is the one to get. Uh, and if you do order anything, just use that promo code travel, just the word travel. And because you're a listener of the show, you'll get 10% off. And I'll leave that link in the show notes as well. And uh, thanks to Tortuga for making today's show possible. If you end up purchasing anything, you'll be supporting the show as well. So thank you so much for that. Now, a quick shout out to Michelle. She wrote me an email, said, Hi, Jason, what an inspiring podcast. My husband and I are actually planning our big move to Europe this December. We are now in the process of selling our house, getting rid of all of our stuff. My mom decided to buy a home, so she's taking everything we own, paying off the last bit of our debts, and making arrangements for us and our little family to move. We also have two dogs that we're taking with us. It's surprisingly easy to move dogs abroad with you, no matter how big. We've been talking about this plan for about two years, and we're finally making real moves towards our goal. Goes on to say, we can't wait to finally have nothing holding us back from the life we've always dreamed of. Thanks for throwing a great show for us to listen to. Michelle, thank you for listening, Michelle. And I'm glad that this show played a part in helping you out to inspire you to do all this. You know, you're doing a lot of work. And I know the whole transition to travel is a crazy time. I'm going to drop a quick link I've been mentioning here in the show recently, zero to travel.com slash transition. And if you go to that link, you can get a little email series that talks about you know, the first three steps you need to take to get started doing this successfully and learn a little bit more about a, a little private community and a journal that I'm coming out with that can help you do some planning around this. And I'm really excited about this project because I know it's going to help a lot of people. So if you're making the transition to travel and you're going through that process, oh, there's so much around it and you need some help and some support and want to connect with other peeps doing it as well. It's a great way to kind of level up and get things moving, get motivated and more inspired than you even may already be. I'll leave that link in the show notes as well. Before I let you go, yeah, skateboarding was a huge thing for me. I, I remember there was a very popular sticker and sort of slogan at the time in the skateboarding world. Maybe it still is. It just said, skateboarding is not a crime. And that was because like as a skateboarder, you would get hassled everywhere. Like it seemed like no matter where you went, you weren't allowed to ride your skateboard. And when you're a teenage kid with not a lot of money and a lot of time, you need to do something. You need to fill it. And for me, that was skateboarding. And that's what my friends and I did every day for years. I mean, there was no question, oh, what are we going to do today? Well, of course, we're going to get on our skateboards and ride around. And consequently, we would get in trouble a lot because we would skateboard in places that we weren't supposed to. And the whole culture around skateboarding, punk rock music, and then later for me, it was hip hop and, you know, the underground like punk rock shows and different things that happened I didn't label them as rebellious things, but I suppose they were. They were nonconformist. They were non-mainstream things that we were participating in. And I think a little rebellion or maybe sometimes a lot of rebellion is a good thing at any age because it's getting you exposed to different ways of thinking, different ideas, people that are living in different ways than you are. And I don't know. There's something about it. And like for me, being a part of skateboarding and skateboarding culture 
And being somebody who like wasn't a troublemaker or was scared to get in trouble and didn't want to get in trouble, but then you know, skating in these places or doing these things where like I could get in trouble <laughs> was scary and a little uncomfortable for me. And I, I wasn't like keen on getting, I mean, never gotten breasted or anything like that. But I don't know, that sort of experience of like, yeah, living a little bit on the edge and doing something a little bit different than everybody else. And it, it, it feels kind of good, you know? As I was thinking about this, I was like, hmm, did my skateboarding years like somehow play into my travel years in a way. I never really thought about it before this episode, before I even sat down to record this episode. But now I think I think maybe. I think maybe there was a little bit of that sort of rebellion in me, that skateboarding cultural, like sort of nonconformist rebellion thing where it's like, okay, yeah, it's okay to do things a little bit different. And I want to do that. I like to do that. It feels good. And when I started traveling, it was definitely something that not a lot of people that I knew were doing and was not a traditional path. And maybe that's why it felt so good. I don't know. Maybe it felt good to just get that sort of passion that I had as a as a teenager for something as a young teen, but I was so into skateboarding, just like obsessed about it and into it all the time. And that's just was our life. Get that for travel and have that be okay, even though it it felt rebellious because I wasn't doing the sort of normal thing that most people do or whatever. I'm just using normal in air quotes. So maybe it did play in. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, a little rebellion, it's a good thing, I think. So <laughs> be a rebel today. Be a rebel, my friend. And I want to thank you for uh, being a part of this listening community, the Zero to Travel Caravan. If you haven't subscribed to the show, do it now. Subscribe. We'd love to have you on. And, and I've got plenty of great shows coming up in the months ahead and beyond. And you can always get in touch with me and let me know if you're needing help with anything or if you want to suggest a topic for the show or whatever. I'm here. I read all the emails. Sometimes it takes me a little while to respond to them because I'm, uh, I'm bad with the email lately. I'm rebelling against my email inbox, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> or being in front of the computer too much would be the thing I guess I'm rebelling against but anyway get in touch because I do read them all and it's really nice to hear from from you so thanks again for listening I'll let you go I will see you next time take care have a wonderful day cheers this podcast has been brought to you by zero to travel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality 